So this morning I'd like to offer a few reflections um, for you to consider in this two-week or month-long or week-long practice that you're here for. And I want to check, is the mic near enough? Can you hear at the back? Okay. No, not Linda can't hear. Okay. So I'm just, I'll name the theme. And I want you to sense your response to the theme. Where are you with this theme? Right? Where does it land in you? Are you for it or against it? Is it something that's incorporated in your practice? Does it seem distant? Is it something that's a good idea but isn't yet embodied in your practice? Or what do you notice? So take a breath just to sense where you are. It's a big theme in practice, but one that can sometimes, unfortunately in this tradition, sometimes get seen as a side-serving. Right? And the theme is kindness. Kindness. I don't think it was the Buddha's intention at all that we have something that's called a wisdom or insight practice that's one thing and then on the side we have this other thing called metta. Right? And it's fine that they get taught as distinct practices. That's no problem. But if we start to see them as two different things entirely then we may unduly uh, make our path more onerous than it need be. So from Ergen Tukul, famous, wonderful Tibetan teacher, he says, the supreme method to become quickly at home with our true nature is through love and compassion. The supreme method... And some of us may easily have inherited, well, hold on a minute, I thought wisdom was the method. I thought seeing deeply, penetrating, looking deeply into things was the method. I'll get there in a moment. But what is this kindness, this friendliness, this... um, unbounded, ultimately unbounded quality when it's spoken about in terms of the Brahma-vihara, the divine abiding of kindness, of friendliness, it is without boundary. It is limitless. It is limitless. And it's an unbounded, radiant friendliness to all things, to our inner phenomena, to the outer Phenomenon. And it isn't something that is, you know, a side serving in this practice. There is a way that we can very much bring the kindness into the practice of samadhi, into the practice of insight, of our moment to moment mindfulness and investigation. What does it mean to bring kindness there?
So I want to explore a couple of the attitudes that we may have developed or that this practice conveniently can feed into that we may bring to the cushion. Very simply put, sometimes some of us do not fundamentally um, believe that kindness, real kindness, is completely compatible with penetrating and seeing deeply. Now when I say that to all of you, probably on the level of your head, you'll say, well, of course, you know, seeing deeply into things, looking deeply, of course it's related to kindness. Because when we see deeply, we see that we're not separate, and when we see we're not separate, it gives rise to kindness. We may say yes, but that doesn't mean that all the way through we really get it. Such that when we're walking on the earth with mindfulness, when we're breathing with our body, with investigation, when we're having to work with a difficult phenomenon that arises, that we have completely understood that seeing deeply can be completely married, is completely compatible with the tender, welcoming, holding Um, kind quality. Sometimes, and you can see if you've known this for yourself in practice, when we um, hear the teaching of, yeah, right, pay attention, pay attention to these phenomena, pay attention to your breath, to the sensation, to the feeling, to the mind state, and we say, okay, pay attention. And this paying attention, we can start to see, wow, if I pay attention and I unhook a little bit, right, I see that I'm not that, you know, we start to be able to unhook a little bit, it's wonderful, isn't it? That first time we really get that, that we can really unhook and we're not as bound in the world of moving things as we thought. And there's a big relief for us, very often as beginners and again and again through practice. So, oh, phew. And we can start to notice we pay attention and somehow in our paying attention, these phenomena, they change or they go away. Right? So, wow, you just pay attention and things change, they go away. It's not how I thought. And then if we're not careful, or very, not, very commonly what happens, for many people, not everybody, what starts to happen is then this way of attending to things gets encoded with a little agenda, which is, great, I'll pay attention and things will dissolve. And dissolve becomes uh, code for go away and not bother me anymore. Right. So the beautiful practice of really understanding dissolution, really understanding that things are empty, where it's imbued with kindness, is very different from where we start. To anybody ever had the experience where you're sitting there and your practice becomes like clay pigeon shooting? Right. We can get a little bit concentrated and things arise and like pay attention. 
and they disappear. Right? It's like, right, there's another one. Right? And maybe you can hear, I mean, it sounds kind of funny when I say it in this way, but the way of attending to things is imbued with the underlying tendency towards aversion. It's imbued with the underlying tendency toward hatred, actually. And rather than really want to be with things to see deeply, because they're here, because I love to explore the mystery, because I want to know what's possible, instead, I want everything to get out of the way so nothing disturbs my peace. And that's the way to happiness. I'm putting it very grossly, but perhaps some of you recognize when the quality of attention can be imbued with this. Some of you won't have this experience at all, we're, we're, and you don't have to look for it if you are, if you don't have this. Sometimes there's also the belief that um, insight, seeing deeply, wisdom, penetration of things, right, where we really see deeply, isn't compatible with kindness. Kindness is a little too soft. If I'm really kind, if I'm really welcoming of this mind state, this feeling, this sensation, this being who walks in front of my walking path, if I'm really welcoming, somewhere we don't trust that. It's like, actually, it's not a good idea to be too welcoming. It didn't work for me back then, right? It's not really a good idea to say welcome. Welcome. We don't quite trust it yet. And we may trust more this capacity to penetrate, to um, bring the sword quality, the deep seeing. So just as by way of example, because of, very much on the head level, we can agree with this. We can say, yes, of course, I understand that kindness can go deep. You know, maybe you've seen that in your life. Maybe you've known it in yourself. Maybe you've seen it in another, seen it in people in the world. You know, when asked to talk about his Buddhist practice and his religion, the Dalai Lama said, my religion is kindness. My religion is kindness. So as I bring up this theme, one of the things that can happen when we turn to any um, theme of these kind of beautiful, wholesome qualities, and kindness is one of them, it can generate and bring forth the opposite in us. You know, anyone who's ever done meta practice, at times we can end up feeling anything but kind. Tight, contracted, numb, hardened, hateful, rageful, etc., etc., at times. So as right now I turn toward this quality of kindness, just see where and how your responses are in your head. It might be, yeah, yeah, I agree, or I heard it all before, or let me get on with my practice. Or On the level of the heart, take a couple of breaths with your heart right now. 
How does your heart area respond to this theme? As it's talked about. Right now, maybe that it's closed or unavailable. Right now, that's okay. Maybe excited, like, oh yeah, that's right. Maybe hostile. No, I don't want to hear about that. Give me the real teachings. You know, sometimes we can have a hierarchy. The real teachings are the ones about depth. And the way you get to depth is through penetration. See how the heart responds. And then take a breath with your belly. A couple of nice breaths, nice... And breathe out with your belly. How are you doing in there? So just as an illustration, this for myself personally, this journey of kindness has been a really a long one, really long one, and continues, of course. And when the teachers would teach, and I sat many of these long, month-long retreats at Guy House and the old Guy House, And in the teachings about kindness, I would agree. My head would agree. Yep, very good. We need more kindness in the world. Yep. Okay. I didn't know it necessarily at the time, but my heart actually would close very often. I didn't know why. I didn't actually know it was happening. My heart would close. I can't really deal with that. And a third experience would happen, which I tried to push out of, a, of awareness, which would be like, kindness, don't trust it. Don't believe it. Don't really believe it's going to go as deep <coughs> as the practice of wisdom or insight. We can have many different responses. And again, we may pay lip service to, of course, they're completely compatible, but where push comes to shove is when you're working with something that has arisen that is difficult. It's not about really what you believe. I mean, the belief has an effect on then how you attend, how you meet. That's why I'm exploring the belief that may be there. But where it really matters is when you're sitting and you get disturbed or there's something difficult or some yogi here walks across your walking path and you feel thoroughly disrespected or the meal isn't up to your liking that day or there's a pain in your heart or it's kind of neutral and nothing much is going on how are you then with attending to yourself How are you then with bringing together the capacity to attend with this welcoming, loving embrace? Because sometimes our practice, and again, we want to really discriminate. When is our practice fueled, motivated by wanting to get rid of things? And when is it motivated by friendliness, by love? 
And we'll see both. We'll see both. Buddha has a teaching where he says, he's talking about this, he says, because we hold ourselves dear, we maintain careful self-regard both day and night. And you might, you might hear that and think, night? It's bad enough during the day. But this is where it's coming from. This is what gives the energy for our practice to unfold. Because you hold yourself dear, you maintain careful self-regard day and night. So that our mindfulness, that our wish to attend, is coming from the premise that I hold this dear, this life, this precious human birth, precious human birth, that's very sensitive, that's very finite, that's easily impacted, that has within it everything we need to unfold. Because I hold myself dear, I maintain careful self-regard day and night. Take a breath with that. See what your response is. Whether your response is yes or ambivalent or hostile. Just know it. Know your response. Is this what brings you into the meditation hall? Because I hold myself dear, I come into the meditation hall. Well, maybe sometimes... But even right through our practice, we can also be astounded by how much push and shove there can be. One very experienced practitioner on one of these long retreats, she came for an interview and she said, wow, you know, I love practice actually. I think I love practice and I've seen the benefit and yes, I do. She said, but sometimes I'm really happy outside walking in the garden and as soon as I get to the walk up the ramp to the meditation hall she says it's like there's a she called it a dharma fascist she said it's my dharma fascist getting me in there and then of course she comes in the meditation hall and she contracts and closes and she was really getting to see that we can start to discriminate because all of you will also have this holding yourself dear or else you wouldn't be here it would be way too difficult it's hard enough at times but we want to discriminate where, it ha- where we have the underlying quality of aversion kind of woven in to our, what gets us here we can see it we can turn toward that we can meet that with friendliness Now sometimes we hear this kind of thing and think, yeah, but I need, to, I need to have someone on my back or I'd never get in the meditation hall, right? I need to have someone on my case pushing me or I'd, I'd be in Newton Abbott having pizza every day, you know? We think that holding ourselves dear means a loss of discipline. 
because very often these qualities get very uh, divorced. That holding ourselves dear means, okay, I do exactly what I want. And for most of us, there's a real uh, evolution in really learning what holding ourselves dear means in the context of practice. But perhaps we don't need this person on our back getting us in here. That this too is another phenomenon, phenomena, phenomenon, phenomenon, that we can turn toward and sense the pain in that, meet with compassion. So how would it be to consider holding yourself dear? And maybe you are at times. Again, these factors don't necessarily stay constant, you know, like any factor, like our investigation, or they're not necessarily here all day. But we can support it, this, because we hold ourselves dear. A lot of us don't hold ourselves dear, actually. a lot of what we can encounter in practice is our self-judgment and our self-hate. Where the teaching of no self, again, has been hijacked by this tendency to want to get rid of ourself. So kindness in this case is actually the capacity to see when we are judging and attacking ourselves. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up of anyone who's seen any self-judgment these last 10, 12 days. Right? Or evaluation. Kindness to really see that, discriminate, and realize that in those moments you're being attacked, actually. If you were supporting a someone else to come here and practice and do the courageous thing that it takes to come sit with our mind for a month. You might be a little more generous to them. Like, wow, yeah, that's courageous to come keep sitting with that mind and body. Yeah, wow, good for you. And then you give yourself a hard time. Don't do that. Don't do that. When we judge ourselves, we keep separating ourselves from our lifeblood of the extraordinary, extraordinary embodiment of this mystery that we are, that each one of us is. And we can work with judgment. Probably all of you have heard Dharma talks on working with that. I won't go into that in detail. But really discriminate it clearly. Really know you're being attacked. And this isn't 
the way the Buddha was attacked by judgment right up until the night of his awakening. And including the night of his awakening. The Mara that turned to him and said, who do you think you are sitting there thinking you can be free? Right? And how would you be when that Mara comes to you? What's your habitual response? You know, just imagine I'm Mara. Right? Who do you think you are sitting there for our month? Huh. Right? What happens? I'm caricaturing it now so you can see it a little better, but know that when that happens internally, we can have one of a number of responses. One very often is that we collapse. It's like, yeah, I should have only signed up for a weekend. Right? We believe it. Or we start trying to argue back. No, no, it's everybody's birthright and da-da-da, and we have this long dialogue, and, but we're still giving it authority. Still giving it authority. When the kindness and the sword of wisdom here really need to be married, that we can say no. And as the Buddha turned towards in the deep saying, I see you, Mara. And Mara did dissolve. Mara did, because things do dissolve, but not just because we hate them. But because in this case we're um, guarding the precious temple of seeing deeply. And that the world, in a way, you know, in the Buddha story, he reached down and touched the earth when this judgment came. And the earth rose up and bore witness to his right to sit there. Like, when we really take that commitment and sit firmly in our seat, the support can come. We'll find it. When we really say, yeah, actually this is my birthright. Holding yourself dear to take yourself down to breakfast in the morning. Knowing that this one you call yourself is the relationship that you have actually. All our um, investment in our other relationships which may at times be beautiful or may not. That the real relationship that is consistent is this one with myself. And taking ourselves down to breakfast in the morning, holding ourselves dear. My dear, come and have some guy house porridge this morning. You know, really taking care with respect to this body and mind. Here's a poem from oh, Hafiz without a bookmark, so let's see if it's there.
And you can hear this in terms of self and other, if you wish. You can hear it in terms, for this month particularly, of yourself to yourself. Because as we see more and more deeply, those also, those distinctions start to disappear. Right? It's, not, it's really not different. It's called, it happens all the time in heaven. It happens all the time in heaven, and someday it will begin to happen again on earth. That men and women who are married, and men and men who are lovers, and women and women who give each other light, often will get down on their knees, and while so tenderly holding their lover's hand, with tears in their eyes, will sincerely speak, saying, My dear, how can I be more loving to you? How can I be more kind? Will sincerely speak, saying, My dear, how can I be more loving to you? How can I be more kind? And in hearing that, please check your response. Again, friendly, ambivalent or indifferent or hostile. Somewhere on that spectrum. Just to know the response. Sometimes what the obstacle to the metta in meeting ourselves with this friendliness can be the judgment, can be the, uh, the karmic formations of the heart, of pain, of grief, lamentation, despair, sorrow that we haven't yet been able to meet. And then we need to defend the tenderness of the heart, go into the head and say, don't tell me to hold myself dear. Or I don't know how to hold myself dear. It's actually a mystery to me. From the Buddha, where in the Metta Sutta, which probably many of you know, which when I used to hear it, and the, the, the traditional translation also, I used to hear it, and by the first line I'd already contracted. It's like, this is what should be done by one who's skilled in goodness, and be like, oh, okay. Right? 
actually there's a much nicer beginning translation, and that might be fine in other languages, but it can very, again, easily feed into our, right, okay, now I'm supposed to be skilled and good, and this is what I should do, and off we go, kind of getting busy with our practice. Another translation of that is, this is the, basically the best way to be in the world um, and the translation is one who seeks to be skillful in what is good and wishes to attain awakening should act thus. It's all softer, isn't it? One who seeks to be skillful in what is good. But yeah, we can, that's okay, I can sign up to that. And wishes to attain awakening should act thus. Maybe it's something about English where it's kind of very easily starts kind of this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. So this, hear it much more as an invitation. For one who seeks to be skillful in what is good and wishes to attain awakening can act, should act thus. Let her be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented, and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, and wise and skillful. So again, as you hear them, it's not that you should be this, it's that these are the pathways we can orient to if we're interested in deepening. We have the intention, the orientation, and then we work with what's in the way. Right? Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. Okay, we can hear it externally. How is that internally for you? Whatever beings you may meet in here, weak or strong, how are you with your own quaking, which feels like weakness at times, your wobbliness? Yesterday I was speaking to a student and she was discriminating that actually her biggest judgment of herself came when she felt weak. And not just physically weak, but emotionally vulnerable. She called it weak. And then there was absolutely not. And then she cut away from herself, distanced herself, and then, as you know, the whole cycle goes of seeking for something better. And the pain of the disconnect with ourself. So whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, how are you with your strength? Some of us don't turn toward that. No, no, I mustn't be strong here. But sometimes we're strong, sometimes we're weak. Can we really, really discriminate and know it as it is? Omitting none, so with no exception. The great or the mighty, the medium, the short or the small. And this is in terms of physical stature when, when we do the meta practice for all beings. You know, it's one way of including the big ones, the small ones. The seen and the unseen. 
there's what we are able to be cognizant of internally and there's what we do not yet see, which also is somehow motivating us. Those living near and far away, those born and to be born. When we stay really current with ourselves, we are new and born in each moment. <coughs> when we fully accept ourselves, one of my teachers talks about fully accepting ourselves is like taking a big risk. Because when we really fully accept ourselves, it's like the old manipulating ego dies and something new is born. In fact, Carl Jung apparently said the most terrifying thing to human beings is to fully accept themselves. That's the most terrifying thing. He didn't say parachute jumping or to fully accept yourself. And again, we can hear it on the head level and think, yeah, no problem, of course, lovely. Accept things. But when push comes to shove, when we're in that moment of turning toward and we're saying, no, 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 not this. What would it be in that moment first to turn toward the no, the resistance, accept that, and see where that takes us? It's terrifying because it's unknown, actually. I think that's what he's referring to. Those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Have you despised yourself in any state these days or another? As a mother protects with her life her child, as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, And here's that bond of holding something dear, holding yourself that dearly as you practice. So one can cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying, free from drowsiness, one can sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. Not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision. So here's the marrying of those qualities, of the kindness and the clarity. The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desire, is not born again into this world. That whole last line there needs a whole another Dharma talk. <coughs> but for now we can think of it as not born again into this world, that that which keeps getting reborn again and again, moment by moment here, on this month-long retreat, when we're in a cycle of repetition, 
when we become an organ of repeating. That when we meet with kindness, acceptance and clarity, that repetition of being reborn dies away. And we're here in a new way. So a last reflection, I think. We may be aware of the limit to our kindness, and that's fine. It's actually quite healthy to, to, to know where we're limited, to know where we can welcome and what we can welcome, and where we say, no, not this, in terms of our inner work with ourselves. One of the ways I like to look at kindness that I found really helpful is if you think of it in terms of the, the word in English, the kindness and this root of kin, kindred. Kindred, our kindred, our kin, are the people who we say are our people, right? Our kin usually is our family or our tribe or our group. These are my kin. These are the ones I'm kindred with. And basically the limit to our kindness is the limit to who and what we see as our kin. If it's just me and my family, this is my kin, and I might be kind with them, but then beyond that boundary, well, we'll see what happens. They're others. You know, beyond the pale, there's the others. Right? Sometimes we isolate to such a degree that we've closed to such a degree that our kin, for a little while, is just me. And everything else is other. And again, probably all of us have known moments or times or periods like that. It's like there's me and there's other. And then because we've closed and shrink down, we can't even offer that kindness to ourselves. The sense of what is kindred is gone. Nothing is kindred. The heart closes and we can't offer kindness anywhere. So in terms of our practice for this month, when we're turning toward our inner life, what do we count as kin, as kindred, And what do we put beyond the pale as not kindred? (coughs) I'll be kind to this sadness, but I won't be kind to this hatred that arises. Or I'll be kind to my, um, yeah, when I'm really together and feeling strong and worthy, but I won't be kind when I'm feeling vulnerable, weak, wobbly, And we each have those limits. Get to know where yours are because when we know, we can start to work with it. We stop taking it as an absolute truth. Things kind of remain as absolute truths in our own personal doctrine when we haven't examined clearly. And as we open to more and more of what's here, And we say, oh yeah, this too. Yeah, this too. This mind state. 
this feeling, this expansion, this contraction, this thought of destruction, this impulse of love, this boredom, 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 as we turn and welcome it all, we stop fearing it. As we stop fearing it, it becomes our kin. We know what kind we are. We are the kind that feels things deeply. We are the kind that has fantastic aspiration, has beautiful aspiration. We are the kind that has the seeds of great destruction and hatred. We are the kind that is really human, really, really human. We are the kind that is sensitive. We are the kind that is strong. The more and more things we can turn toward, the more the less is excluded. And the less is excluded, the less afraid we are, actually. The more I make friends with my shadow, the things that are outside, beyond the pale, which is very different than indulging it, it's welcoming when it arises, making room, feeling, sensing, saying yes, being mindful, investigating. The more I make friends with my shadow, the less I'm afraid of yours. They're not different. The more we see, yeah, I could be every single kind. I could be the kind that could commit that. I'm not going to because the conditions and the ethics are supporting me in this life. But knowing that actually the seeds of everything lie in the human heart. And that way, that distinction of self and other dissolves more and more. We see that it's empty, actually. We get less afraid of ourself and less afraid of each other. And this is how kindness is also born. That nothing, less and less, is seen as not my kin. More and more is my kin, including the human beings, the other furry beings, the scaly beings, and even the non-animate things. More and more and more we can start to see on some level as who and what we are. So one translation of metta as the radiant, expansive quality of unbounded friendliness to all things, including oneself. When the consciousness of self and other has been superseded, so that may be just in moments at times when that boundary of self and other is not pressing, so when the, when the uh, consciousness of self and other has been superseded, as such, this, is, this metta is direct knowledge. It is pure experience of the unending flow of life. It is pure direct knowledge of the unending flow of life. So let's sit quietly for a moment together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.